So you heard me mention earlier internet influencers. Are you familiar with them? You know, as more and more people flock to the internet and social media for their news and entertainment and engagement and recommendations, these key opinion leaders, these YouTubers and TikTokers and bloggers and podcasters are holding a whole bunch of influence and affecting people's behaviors and decisions in ways like never before. Why? Because they have either knowledge or authority or just uh, kind of a parasocial relationship with all of their followers. And so they are affecting everything from people's decisions on what to purchase, purchasing toys and texts, to applying makeup, to uh, doing these weird challenges. They make an impact by driving sales and trends and even movements. Now, the ones with the most influence across all platforms would be the celebrities like uh, Justin Bieber and Taylor Swift and all the Kardashians and Jenners and Beyonce and The Rock. But then there are other mega influencers that are experts in their field or just are engaging personalities who, for better or worse, try to influence people like you know, Joe Rogan or Seth Godin or Ben Shapiro. Social media, though, has really been an equalizer in a lot of ways because it's made previously unknown personalities uh, much more influ influential. It's given them a platform that they never had before to promote themselves or their views or their causes or their products. Maybe you've heard of some names like uh, Mr. Beast or uh, Jake and Logan Paul or James Charles or um, PewDiePie. Um, Ludwig. Now, those, again, are the mega-influencers, but then there are a whole lot of micro-influencers who have smaller networks and yet are very influential. Now, you say, what does that have to do with me? Well, you may not have a blog or a podcast. You may not know how to upload a video or to attract subscribers. You may not have an Instagram account. You may not even be on the Internet, but if you have relationships, then you are a micro-influencer. You are constantly influencing your world, your network of contacts in ways you don't even realize. For good or bad, you're always influencing other people. Now, as we come to the end of our series on making an impact, we've been looking at the way that the, these essentials of how to impact others with our faith. If you missed any of those messages, you can watch them online or, or listen to the podcast. But we talked about sharing your faith in, in verbal ways, like sharing your testimony, witnessing with your testimony. What about ways to witness without words? What about witnessing through your behavior, through your examples? God wants to know, can I get a witness when it comes to actions? Jesus talked about our influence when he referred to us as salt and light in Matthew chapter 5. He says, you're the salt of the earth. But if salt's lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, and nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. All right, so you're salt of the earth, your light of the world, what does that mean? Well, what does salt do? Salt affects everything it touches. It makes things tasty. I mean, who doesn't love salty snacks? 
or seasoning up those bland vegetables or enhancing a steak. Maybe the only thing better than salt would be butter, right? You put butter on anything. It's like, wow. Wouldn't it be awesome if Jesus said, you are the butter of the culture. I'm on board with that. But salt, if it loses its saltiness, then it's worthless. And God doesn't want you stuck in your salt shaker going stale. He wants you out there impacting others, being a positive influencer. Salt was also used as a preservative, you know. And so that means in our society, we are supposed to not blend in with everybody else, but to help conserve what is right and true and good. Not letting the culture continue to rot through false ideas and moral corruption. What's it mean to be light? Well, a light affects everything it touches too, right? It changes the atmosphere. It brightens. It reveals. Jesus is the light of the world, and we actually are just reflecting him. So God doesn't want us hiding our light and leading other people into the dark. We, we don't want to leave them in the dark because we're supposed to be reflecting Jesus. They're supposed to be able to see Jesus through us. We shine for him. We don't stay hidden away in the shadows where ethical relativism and deceptive philosophies and evil deeds can thrive. We flip the switch and we drive that darkness away. And so that's why our big idea is to point people to Jesus by your exemplary behavior. Okay, we're, we're, we're always, just like we're always influencing, we're always being influenced too, right? In ways we don't even understand. The question is, who, whom are you looking to? Whom, whom are you letting guide you? Who are you taking your cues from? We've got to be careful not to compromise with the ways of the world just because it might make life easier or more comfortable or make us more popular. Paul reminds us of what the prophet said long ago when he says, in fact, everybody, let's say this one out loud together. Here we go. Come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Be separate. That means we stand out. We go against the flow and against the grain. We're different. Through the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling in us, we influence others not by our celebrity, but by our credibility in living out our faith and actually practicing what we preach. Otherwise, why in the world would anybody ever consider becoming a Christian? If we're no different than anybody else, why would they? Is there anything about you that would pique their curiosity to say, what do they got that I don't? What makes them so different? What would make them question your beliefs? See, people don't learn about Christianity just by reading a Bible or hearing a sermon. They may not even be exposed to any of that. Instead, all they know is you. They know Christians. And so what do they know about Christianity from your example? Because you may be the only Bible anybody ever reads or the only sermon that they ever hear. That's why it's so important that you set the right example. Because one of the biggest turnoffs for people is fakes and hypocrisy. Isn't that true? I mean, none of us, of course, is perfect. And nobody really expects us to be perfect, other than the Lord expects that. Or to be holy as he is holy, perfect as he is perfect. But for the world, what they're least looking for from us is authenticity. That we are genuinely seeking to live for Christ. 
Like, are you the real deal or are you just another Bible-quoting phony? Because people are always looking to your example, which is frightening, right, to think about They're always looking for some inconsistency in our lives to look for some chink in our armor. Why? So they can discredit us and and say, well, I don't need to become a Christian because they're no different than I am. Now, a lot of times that's just an excuse, but let's not give them any grounds for thinking that. Maybe you've heard the famous quote that supposedly was spoken by Gandhi, even though there's no real evidence he said this. But the quote is, I like your Christ. It's your Christians I don't like. Your Christians are nothing like Christ. And our first reaction to that is, ouch. Uh, But we also understand that most people have no real idea of what Jesus is truly like. I mean, uh, uh, they've conjured up this image of Jesus, this sanitized version of a hippie hugging everybody and flashing the peace sign. You know, that's just an imaginary Jesus made in their own image. But still, we have to recognize that a lot of Christians repel people by their hypocrisy. Why do so many people reject our faith? Because they might like our Christ, but they don't like Christians because they see us denying him by our very lifestyle. Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Could you say that? In fact, let's say that out loud together. Ready? Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Whoa, think of that. That, That's a pretty heavy thing, right? But understanding Paul wasn't perfect. Insofar as he was genuinely and obediently striving to be like Jesus, then he could say, imitate me as I imitate the Lord. And we should be able to say that too. And, And when we do fail and fall, we own it, we confess it, We seek forgiveness and we do better. So let's list some ways that we can be godly examples. And the first is to witness with your works. We saw Jesus say, let your light shine before men so that they can see your good deeds and glorify your God in heaven. So we do good works, not to get saved, but because we are saved. We're not saved by good works. We're saved for them. They are the evidence because we want to be like Jesus. Scripture says that Jesus went around doing good, right? When's the last time you went about doing good, following in his footsteps that way? And really, good works can be almost anything done in the name of Jesus that meet needs and makes a difference. Just like Jesus said, giving a cup of cold water in his name. It can be any kind of act of mercy or kindness or compassion. It can be donations or gifts of charity. It can be volunteering for community service, offers of help. Anything that meets needs and makes a difference in the name of Jesus. And we don't do those things to draw attention to ourselves, but to point people to Jesus, to give glory to God. See, because those good deeds are not an end in themselves. They are giving us an opportunity to open doors and break down barriers to prepare people to receive the good news. Good deeds prepare the way for the good news. So when's the last time you did something good for someone else? To be the salt of the world and the light of the world in our culture, in in American society, means that we can be the conscience of the community. 
We have the great privilege in America to influence the kind of culture we live in, from the state house to the schools to the public squares. Our citizenship is in heaven, but that motivates us to be good citizens here who obey the laws of the land insofar as they reflect God's laws. If, if, if the state ever tells us to disobey God's laws, then, then we have to peacefully practice civil disobedience. But we want to be good citizens. We live in this free and democratic society where we can vote, where we can stand up and speak out for what's true and right and just. We can pass petitions, we can picket, we can boycott, we can make posts. Of course, we do it in a respectful way because our goal is always to win hearts and minds, not just to win arguments. We certainly do not want to force the culture into submission to some kind of pseudo-theocratic state, you know? Now, when we do that, when we speak out and stand up and do all those things, all right, well, sometimes we might get silenced. We might get censored and shadow banned and deplatformed. That's okay. Because we understand that worldly, political, military solutions will never work for spiritual problems. And that's what we've got. Witness with your works. And then secondly, witness in your appearance. What do I mean? Well, we know that there are clear areas of Scripture that tell, directs our behaviors to do this, don't do that. But there are other areas of life where Scripture doesn't give us a clear direction and we have to use good judgment considering how it's going to impact others, right? And so even when some action we think is okay, we have to be cautious about, is it going to be okay for others? We have to be census, sensitive to their conscience and how is it going to influence them. For example, in New Testament times, some of the early Christians were offended by their fellow Christians who were eating meat that had been sacrificed to idols. They thought that was wrong. Even though Paul, the apostle, said, hey, it's okay to eat that meat. I have freedom in Christ to do that because idols mean nothing. And yet he said, I'm not going to eat that meat if it causes my brother or sister in Christ to stumble, if it's going to offend their conscience and lead them into doing what's wrong against their own conscience, then I'm not going to do it. Right? That's why he writes in Romans 14, So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it's wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It's good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Now, eating meat is not an issue for us today, but I would suggest drinking wine still is. We know Scripture clearly says do not get drunk, but it doesn't necessarily say do not drink. And so if you can drink in good conscience, that's fine, but always be conscientious of how your influence is affecting others because others may copy your behavior and it will lead them into drunkenness. And so we're going to be cautious about who we drink around, when we drink, or I would suggest it's wiser just not to drink at all because I never want to give anybody a cause to stumble in their walk with Christ. Again, we don't live just for ourselves. I mean, we're, we're careful about the way we dress. Now, the Bible doesn't give you a dress code, but it does say to dress modestly. 
Why? Because how we appear to others influences them. It impacts them. And some will be quick to protest, well, you can't tell me how to dress. Uh, You can't tell me what's inappropriate for me to wear. I'm going to wear whatever I want to wear, which tells me you've got a pride problem to begin with. Because as a Christian, we do care how our appearance affects others. We never want to be a cause for someone else to stumble in their walk with Christ. We want to be godly examples, and that's why we're careful about the movies that we go to see, because we think, well, it's okay for me to see it. It's not going to affect me. Yeah, but what about the other people that see you going to that movie? How's it going to impact and influence them? We're careful of the lyrics that we listen to. We're careful of the... uh, images and videos that we click on. Why? Not only because we want to keep our own minds clean and hearts pure and be pleasing to the Lord, holy as he is holy, but because what we do impacts others. We don't want to make them stumble. We want to be godly examples. So what area of your life do you maybe need to be a better example in? If you're involved in any kind of questionable behavior, activity, can I suggest to you this principle. When in doubt, don't. When in doubt, just don't. It's better not to take that risk. Whatever you do privately, would you want it exposed publicly? That's kind of the standard, right? Because especially in these times, those deeds done in the darkness can certainly be brought to light very easily. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 5, you were once darkness, but now, here it is, you are what? You're light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Boy, do we live in evil days. What does it mean to make the most of every opportunity? It means to be a godly example to people, living differently so that you can point them to Jesus. It matters how you appear to others. Have nothing to do with even the appearance of evil. Let's talk about your words. Witnessing with your words. Are you representing Jesus well in your speech and conversation? I mean, your words are powerful. They have great influence. James talks about the power of our words when he writes, the tongue is a flame of fire. It's full of wickedness. It can ruin your whole life. It can turn the entire course of your life into a blazing flame of destruction for it is set on fire by hell itself. And so here's where the hypocrisy comes in. Blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. That's hypocrisy to be speaking out of both sides of your mouth with those different kinds of of languages. Your tongue reflects what's in your heart, and your tongue reflects your Lord. And so your, your, your speech can be either positive or negative. And I think you demonstrate a lot of wisdom and care when you weigh your words. That's why all the way back in the Proverbs, there's so much good counsel about making sure that you are speaking sensibly and not foolishly. Some of y'all say, though, you know, that's just not me. I just say whatever comes to mind, man. I have no filter. It just comes out. That's me. Stop it. Stop being you. (laughs) Let the Holy Spirit be your filter. You can't just say whatever you want to say. You're representing Jesus. He's given you the fruit of self-control. Rein it in, okay? 
Because here's what Jesus says in Matthew 12. I tell you, on the day of judgment, in fact, everybody say this with me. On the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Whoa. See how serious this is? You better watch your mouth. Paul says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. You are the salt of the earth, so let your words enhance the conversation instead of poison the conversation. Too much of our language these days can be salty in the wrong way. I'm telling you, I have heard more cussing from Christians in the past few years than I've heard my whole life. Somehow that whole barrier has fallen and Christians just feel free to cuss up a storm. And no, get out that bar of soap if you have to. Wash out that potty mouth. That is not the way we're supposed to be talking. Full of vulgarity and profanity and cursing. That's hypocrisy. Now, we use our words to reflect God's goodness not the world's coarseness. Paul says this, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, inappropriate, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. We speak constructively, not destructively, to build up, not to tear down. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another. Witness with your words and then witness with your work. Now, that doesn't mean you go around sharing your testimony, talking about Jesus on the clock all the time, you know, because that's not what you're being paid for. That's not going to please your employer. Um, and there's, there's other ways and times that don't detract or distract from your work. But I'm telling you, for, as a Christian, don't you, don't you agree that your workplace can be one of the most challenging places to be a Christian, especially if you work in some sort of morally questionable environment and you really don't respect the people around you you don't respect the people you're working for and you're wondering if you're, you're having any kind of positive influence on this place that you're in but can I tell you whatever vocation you're you're working in your attitude can change your work can become more rewarding and fulfilling if you will follow the Bible's counsel about your job responsibilities if you will take these Bible pointers to heart see what difference they'd make first of all Work if you're able. Christians should not be content to live off of others unless absolutely necessary. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 3, if anyone's not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness. You're not busy at work, but busy bodies. And now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Okay, so there's a difference between can't work and won't work. If you're lazy, then you have no right to expect financial support, including from fellow Christians. Secondly, don't engage in vocations or business practices that are morally wrong. Don't steal, don't cheat, don't deceive. If it's morally questionable, don't do it. If you can't do it in good conscience, don't do it. Third, do your work well. Be a good worker who earns the respect of others with your work ethic. Paul says again, aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you. Why? So that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Nobody is going to listen to your God talk if they do not respect the way you do your work. You've got to earn the right to be heard that way. And while everybody else might be slacking off and complaining and doing sloppy work, we do not. We're different. 
Your godly example before your coworkers can spark that desire in them to know what do they have that I don't? Why are they so different? Take Christ with you on the job and make God your boss. <laughs> That's a big difference. Trade in your current boss for God. Begin working for him because that will change your whole attitude toward your work. And you're no longer doing it just to get a paycheck or just enough to get by. You're doing it for him. Like Paul says in Colossians 3, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So we give our very best efforts because our attitudes and our habits reflect on our Lord. Even back then in the early church, some Christians found themselves as slaves. And yet Paul urges them they must show themselves to be entirely trustworthy and good. Then they'll make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive in every way. It, does, your, does your work attitude and, and ethic make the teaching about God attractive? If you want to influence those that work under you, then be a good boss worthy of respect. Be good to your employees. Treat them right. Pay them fairly. James says, hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. The wages you held back cry out against you. The cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. Even bosses have a boss, and masters have a master. Colossians 4, masters treat your bondservant justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And you know what? When you practice that kind of workplace environment, you no longer have a wicked system of slavery. You have a workforce of people who are being treated right, fairly, justly. Maybe you hate the place you work. Maybe you hate the job you do. Well, if you can find better work, go for it. But until then, view your workplace as your mission field. Let God use you there to shine for Jesus. You may be the only influence on those people in that place of darkness. So make an impact. Point people to Jesus by your exemplary behavior. I want to point you to Jesus right now if you have never received him as your personal savior. If you're not following him as your Lord, as your leader, as your main influencer, whom are you being influenced by? Jesus wants to be your main influencer influence but that means you've got to turn to him in trust in repentance you know to say Lord I'm sorry for the way that I've lived I'm sorry for my disobedience for my my disbelief thank you for giving your life for me so that I could be cleansed so that I could be filled with your Holy Spirit it's time for you to subscribe to his channel because Jesus is the only channel of grace from God you need him today. If you're ready to become his follower, then we're going to invite you to reach out and let us help you make the best decision ever. Text your name to the number you see on the screen or email us. If you're on site, uh, come up here after the service. I'll have some friends here and at the point that you can talk to. They would love to help you make a decision to be baptized today. We can do that right on the spot. You just need some questions answered. You need somebody to pray for you. That's what this time is all about. After the service, come on up. Whatever your next step is, we're here for you, okay? Let's pray about that right now. Father God, we want to pray that you would help us to uh, represent you well. 
and to choose wisely whom we're being influenced by. Empower us by your Holy Spirit to be your ambassadors who point people to Jesus by by our good works and the way we behave, the way we speak, the way we work. Help us to live blamelessly. And thank you for forgiving us when we fall short and we we don't set the right example. Lord, we want to walk the walk. We don't want to drift into hypocrisy. So help us to come out from the world and be different, to leverage our influence for your glory, to lead people to salvation. And, And right now, Lord, I'm praying that for those who need to make that decision, that they'll accept your grace offered through the cross, embrace this new life in, with, and for Christ, the one who rose from the dead, because we pray it in his name. Amen. Would you please stand and sing with us about how good and how great our God is.